You're so far away, guys. Are you all right? You're happy there. You just want to stay in your place. I'm not moving for you, Kate. I just want to stay where I am. That's all right. So I love it that it's Mother's Day because I get to talk about another amazing woman of the Bible who's another hero of mine. So I'm dead chuffed. Any excuse, right, to talk about fabulous women in the Bible. I'm like all up for it. So this woman I want to talk to you about today, she is amazing. She's a great woman. She's called Mary. Not Mary as in the mother of Jesus. Mary, a different Mary. Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. She is, she is fab. She's actually quite thoughtful and quiet, but fearless. You know, like a, you know, like real gutsy kind of, oh, I love it. So let's jump right in. If you've got a Bible, can you turn to Mark chapter 14? Use the contents page. That's fine. That's what it's there for. If you don't know where Mark is, contents page is at the front. Incidentally, we've been learning about Mark, if you haven't been around before. It's written by a guy called Mark. Decided to call it after himself. And he was a guy who hung around Jesus. He spent a lot of time with Jesus. And he just wanted to know the same Jesus that he knew, basically. He just wanted to give you a snapshot into the life of Jesus. So Mark is a fabulous book to start. If you've never read the Bible before, dive in at Mark. Okay, so we're going to start with chapter 14. Here we go. This is all about Jesus anointed at Bethany. And while he was, this is Jesus, and while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman, this is Mary, came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii, which is the local currency at the time and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you troubling her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you won't always have me. She has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her and we're doing it this morning we're talking about her i love that jesus said we'd be talking about her and we are that's pretty cool hey thousands of years on so to give you a bit of a context mary mary is uh, actually i'm gonna wait i'm gonna get to mary in a bit let's give you set the scene instead so jesus was a man who liked a meal We're constantly reading about him sharing a table with people, with the respectable bunch, but also with the ones who were considered outcasts. And in the ancient world, if you ate together with people, it kind of sent you a message that they were your friends. It was you kind of saying that you're all right, you're okay. And here we find Jesus having a meal at the house of Simon the leper. (laughs) It's not the most attractive name. Is it? Can you imagine being called Simon the leper? 
I mean, Simon the skin disease sufferer. So who was this man? Well, at some time, Simon had obviously been a leper. And perhaps when Jesus had healed in the past. But in ancient times, leprosy wasn't what it is today. It kind of means like any skin disease, like blemishes or rashes or won't go into all that, but any kind of skin complaint. But under Jewish law, to touch a leper was, or even actually being under the same roof as a leper, was to make yourself unclean. So lepers were kind of kept almost in permanent quarantine. You don't go near them. So all of this might be why Simon the leper lived away from the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, and he's living in a place called Bethany, which was to the east. And the fact that Jesus is having a meal there doesn't just surprise me at all, because it's the type of thing Jesus did all the time. He constantly set aside the religious boundaries of the time just so that the excluded were included. So all this happened probably on the Wednesday before Good Friday. So Good Friday is the day when Jesus was crucified. But on the Wednesday, not much happens. Not much is written about what happens on the Wednesday. And scholars think it might be because Jesus just wanted to kind of, he knew the political temperature was rising. He probably thought, hmm, I'm just going to stay out of it. And we find him hanging out with his mates at Bethany. And this is, you know, if you could jump into any sort of bit in the Bible, like if you could just, I know this is just a bit whimsical and maybe something I do, but like if you had five minutes to jump into a bit in the Bible, this is one of the ones I would want to jump into. Can you imagine just hanging out with Jesus and his mates, just having a glass of wine, eating a bit of food, Jesus chilling out. This would be one of my, I would love to just jump in on this, be totally chilled out. So imagine the scene. Jesus is sharing a meal, probably of lamb, goat, drinking a bit of wine with his friends. And whilst he's reclining at the table, Mary, our hero Mary, my hero Mary, comes up to him, breaks open a jar of really expensive perfume and pours it on his head. And now the people in the room are like, what are you doing? They're arguing that this perfume could have been sold for tons of money to feed the poor. But Jesus defends her. He's like, no, the poor will always be there. But this woman has done something that will be remembered forever. Now, the perfume in this incident is super rare and expensive. It's called nard. Anybody ever seen any nard? Not like essence of nard? Just squirt it on in the morning. Essence of nard, eau de nard. Um, Nard was perfume imported from like the Himalayan mountains and according to Pliny had the foremost possible rank amongst perfumes, i.e. it was super posh. And such perfume would have travelled thousands of miles to get to this little village in Jerusalem. And according to the people in the room, it's worth a year's wages, like a whole year's wages on this perfume. So 300 denarii, probably the equivalent of something like 25,000 pounds. Just in this like, like alabaster jar. And I have some this morning. I know, you're all jealous. This is just kind of eau de nard. It's kind of oil 
with a bit of nard, because it's not £25,000. Do not worry, I would not be wasting it this morning. But um, I have some, and I was going to pass it round so you could have a smell. It's not too bad. But then I thought, right, to get into the story, like, to get into the story, which is what we like to do, right? <laughs> do you know what's coming? <laughs> I just wondered, do you know, like, you know how it's good to get into a story? If anybody just kind of fancied a bit of pouring it on their head? Now, if nobody volunteers, Ben's it, right? <laughs> so... So we've got to go with this. This is money, guys. You could smell this this good. I've got a towel. Wait. <laughs> you think I'm joking? I'm totally not joking. Ben. Ben. Ben, you're up. <laughs> Who's it going to be? Who's got not much hair? Phil! Oh! oh. <laughs> okay. I've got you a towel, right? And we we better stand on the on the. Do I, do um, I kneel? Well, you should. Re- I mean, to, to get into the story, you should recline. I don't know what that. <laughs> Let's just sit, right? Jesus did not have. Jesus does not have a towel. Okay. Are you ready? You ready? It smells good, right? So this is, I mean... Let's go. Are we going to go for the whole thing? What does it smell like? And this is what Jesus did, right? He was super generous. Mary was super generous. It's the whole jar. Do you like the smell? What's the smell like? like and we're done. Have you been in that shop lush? It's good, right? It's not unpleasant. It's not exactly manly, though. <laughs> you don't get that much. So, so Mary had a full alabaster jar full, right? So, I mean, I don't know how big that was, but that is... That is like nothing. You came off lightly. I don't know what to do now. Maybe you should kind of... Um... Just go and sit over there now. <laughs> do you want to just wipe? I'm, I'm, I'm excused, am I? Well, you can, I know. <laughs> do you know what? To kind of get into the story a bit more, I kind of... Um, so really interestingly, I found... <laughs> it's the best reclining I can do. So... This happened on the Wednesday, right? So they didn't have masses of... Wait, one sec, one sec. So, so they didn't have, like, baths and showers and stuff. So Jesus would have gone to the cross smelling of this. Don't you think that's fascinating? Like, I'd never thought before. So go, maybe just have a go, walk around and get people to have a whiff of you. <laughs> Do you like it, James? <laughs> Such an introvert, he totally is. Yeah, It's quite a nice smell, right? Yeah, 
Okay, okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. And, and, okay, we're nearly there. Everybody's had a smell. Nearly there. Ben smelt it this morning. It is, it's nice, do we like it? Okay, it is quite strong, but don't you think that's fascinating, the fact that Jesus would have, Jesus would have smelt, Jesus would have smelt, yeah. Jesus, thank you, Phil. Thank you. It's a bit on you. Mm. Sorry. It's just he's up there with Jesus, though. You know, I mean... <laughs> but the fact that Jesus might have even... Well, probably did smell like that. Just before it, before the Good Friday. Are you all right, Johan? Do you need to just move? So the nard... So... The nard Mary used was super expensive. But the interesting thing was the complaints weren't simply about how much she used or the cost. What made this act so scandalous was the person doing the anointing, as in Mary. Because in Mary society, like women, were seen as lightheaded. It was the man's role to debate and to learn. And women were simply there to cook. Women had few rights, and there was this conviction that God just didn't talk to women. So I think the first thing I would have thought of, if I was Mary and I was thinking of pouring perfume on Jesus' head, well, maybe she didn't even think, but she, was, she would have thought, ah, oh, they're going to be horrified if I do this. What are they going to think of me? But she just went on and did it. And I was just thinking, I wonder how much of our day is thought about what people think of us. You know, whether we worry about whether we've done a good job or, oh, what, what do people think of that conversation? Or I, I remember as a teacher in the staff room when, like, Ofsted were coming in and the inspectors were coming in, people were ill because of what people would think of their teaching or, yeah, that was a bad, bad experience. You can see why we do it, because approval feels good, right? We like to be liked. We like to be good, doing a good job. Most of us actually place a higher premium on what people think of us than we realize. And sadly, t people tend to know that they are not good at something more than they know what they are good at something. Like if you're a parent here, how many people have ever said you're doing a good job with your kids? I mean, why is that such a rare thing? When we meet new people at work, or you might have even felt like this this morning, you enter conversations hoping people will like approve of you. They'll like what you're saying. They'll laugh at your jokes and enjoy your chat. There's this um, psychiatrist who is pretty switched on. He's called Scott Peck. He's a best-selling author. Talks about when he was in a conversation when he was younger with a, another 15-year-old. So there's him and his mate. And... Once they'd all gone their separate ways, both of them, he, these were his reflections on the conversation. He says, I realized that for the entire 10-minute period from when I'd first seen my friend until that very moment, I'd been totally preoccupied. For the two or three minutes before we met, all I could think about was the clever things I might say to impress him. And then during our five minutes together, I was listening to what he had to say only so that I might turn it into a, like a clever reply. 
and I watched him only so that I might see what effect my remarks were having on him. And for them, the two minutes after we separated, my sole thought was of those things I could have said that might have impressed him even more. I actually couldn't have cared less for my classmate. And the truth is, what's going on for that 15-year-old boy is exactly the same as what goes on for us in our 20s, our 30s, 40s, 70s. But yet, when we look at Mary, she's like pushing through any of those fears of what other people think of her, expectations, approval, all of that stuff. Because she understands that her significance comes from her relationship to Jesus, not from the like, approval of others. Wouldn't you love to be like that? She knew who she was. We sang a song at the beginning um, of the set just a few minutes ago, like, I am who you say I am. Because Mary knew she was loved. She knew what Jesus said about her, which made her, like, outrageously secure. Insecurity is weird, right? It, but the interesting thing is it vanishes when we come to understand that we no longer need to be special in other people's eyes because we know that Jesus thinks we're like overwhelmingly lovable. So when we read about what Mary is doing in another story in the Bible, again, we find her like totally comfortable in the presence of Jesus. When everything and everyone in the culture is telling her she shouldn't be there. So in, there's, a, there's a story in the book of Luke about Mary and she's at home with Lazarus and Martha and Martha's busy doing the cooking and the cleaning and all the things that's needed and there's Mary again. Here she is sitting at the feet of Jesus, just listening to him. This is what it says in Luke. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and she's like, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. Few things are needed. Actually, are indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Hmm. So again, here's Mary. Like Jesus is her focus, nothing else. Back to the meal. Let's go back to the meal. And the nod. And so we've heard that in Mary's day, a woman's not expected to engage in debate. And Mary would have been expected to serve the meal, but not speak. However, Mary had to speak. She had to be heard. And what she does is not some careful, considered, polite act. She's like passionate about pouring this nard over Jesus' head. It's like a heartfelt cry. It's like society silenced this lady. And so she, she kind of just goes for it. And there's another account of the same story in John. And John not only says that Mary poured the um, nod over Jesus' head, it also says that um, she lets down her hair and dries Jesus' feet with it, like with her hair. Like that, that's just like you don't do that. 
Like women do not let down their hair in this society. That's like the custom of the day. You don't do that, only in the presence of your husband. And so she's like, she just doesn't care. She's like all in. She's so clearly moved by deep loyalty that she's unaware of the like disapproval that she's caused. And many people would call her eccentric or even out of her mind. Is it moderation in all things? I don't think Mary was very moderate. She was motivated to anoint Jesus out of love. Nobody told her to do it. It wasn't commanded. She just thought she would just take it upon herself to do. And Jesus said she'd done a beautiful thing. Because Mary knew who she was. Mary knew who she was. Hmm. But she also knew who Jesus was. Because the interesting thing with this, remember it's like the Wednesday before Good Friday? So she, she knew he was king. And every king is anointed before his coronation. And this was to be his anointing. Like that's a, a, a thing all the way through history. It's like all the way through Israel, everybody's anointed. All the kings are going to be anointed. And the really fascinating thing for me is like, she's, she's the one doing the anointing. Not a prophet, but a woman. Like a woman doing the anointing? But it's also more than that. It's like a symbolic preparation of his body for burial. Because Mary knew that her king must die. She's fascinating. <laughs> she, she, gets, she gets the whole gospel. She gets the fact that the Messiah needs to die to save us from all our stuff. She gets it. I don't even know how she gets it. And this was why whenever the good news about Jesus is preached in the whole world, her loving sacrifice is going to be remembered and we are today she gets it now the interesting thing like what is going on with judas so you have this incredible thing going on with the oil the nard and da 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 da, da. and then there's judas so he sees all this going on and remember he loves money and so he's um he's just kind of he can't handle this wastage of money and it says, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. So remember, this is just a few days before Jesus went to the cross. And the Jewish authorities are looking, like they've, they've issued orders to seek an arrest, to like arrest Jesus inconspicuously. Now... There's no sat-nav, there's no modern lighting system. So like, where do you find Jesus, right? He's amongst the people everywhere. So they're like, how are, we gonna, how are we gonna arrest this guy? So finding Jesus would be a really difficult thing to do. And because Judas is one of Jesus's 12 disciples and he hung around Jesus most of the time, he would know exactly where Jesus was at a given time. So Judas decided to betray Jesus, to lead the authorities to him and then identify him, which we read further on. So I find myself asking this question. I don't know whether anybody else does. Maybe I think too much. So like Mary and Judas both hang around Jesus for years. 
I know, right? How come they are both polar, like they're polar opposites of their security? So she's super secure, Mary's super secure, and he's like, like riddled with insecurity. So I'm like, why is that? I'm like, why is that? How can, how can that be? So I was like looking into Judas a bit, and I think he gets a, I actually think he gets a bit of a raw deal. I mean, you don't really get many babies being called Judas today, do you? I mean, his name usually is like, ah, Judas. But I kind of, if you look into his background, let me tell you a little bit about him. So Judas, Jesus has obviously chosen him to be a disciple. So he obviously saw real potential in him, right? We know he was really good with money because he was the treasurer for the disciples. So, so the disciples had confidence in his ability and his integrity to handle money. We know that he was money conscious, but that became part of his downfall. And the thing is, like, scholars believe that he was a bit of an idealist, like a, a patriot, like a fanatical patriot. He saw Jesus, like, with un this unlimited power, and Jesus had witnessed Jesus rising people from the dead and healing the sick, and he's like, Jesus, use your power to overthrow Rome, because... This is really annoying. This is our country. Why are the Romans here? Use your power to overthrow Rome. And I think as time passed, Judas became impatient. He knew that, he knew that if only Jesus would, he could like raise an army with his little finger against Rome. And we hear him ask, why doesn't he act to overthrow this corrupt reign that is killing us by the hundreds? There's nothing wrong with Judas wanting to see Rome overthrown, but that wasn't Jesus' agenda. I doubt that Judas actually believed Jesus would allow himself to be taken. I think he'd seen Jesus like escape, like in the midst of crowds loads of times. He'd seen him raise people from the dead, and he probably thought Jesus was not going to allow himself to be murdered. And the idea of triumph on a cross was like probably far from his mind. And yet the crucifixion takes place and then Judas hangs himself because he can't believe what he's done. But the difference between Mary and Judas is it's just pretty startling. It's this thing that Judas has of being racked with insecurity and he wanted his goal, his mission, Jesus to get involved with what his plans were and then you've got Mary she's got impatience insecurity things weren't happening his way <clears throat> his cause his goal his way of doing things is the driver for his life it turned out so badly I mean like how often do we do that that's why I have a bit of empathy with Judas because like he's got a cause you know he really believes in it and he just like come on Jesus you're super powerful come on let's get let's get on overthrow the Romans and yet that's not Jesus's thing but Mary she's like all about right what surrender she's like whatever you want to do whatever you want to do I'm, I'm I'm all in whatever you want to do she's got her eyes fixed on Jesus like whatever her outcomes are she surrendered them so Jesus, your outcomes to what goes on next, your outcomes to Rome, your outcomes to poverty, your outcomes to the situation in my life. 
And she gets a ton of things achieved and done in her life. She's incredible, but she operates from a place of security. So I, I just felt the Lord ask us this morning, how, how do you deal with insecurity? How do you, what do you do with that? I think he just wants to, to just show us Mary. And so when we're feeling a bit like vulnerable or when work pressures come in, like where do we go? And we were talking about this yesterday and it's like sometimes you don't feel insecure but you realize that there's a huge difference between allowing him to be involved in your plans rather than, rather than surrendering the outcome. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you can, I'm going to pray about that but actually I've got my own agenda. <clears throat> Excuse me. And you might not feel insecure if I said to you are you like how are you doing are you feeling a bit insecure right now no I'm not feeling insecure but it might be that you realize your security is in other things which you probably didn't realize like I didn't realize we were saying yesterday weren't we like oh the fact that actually we've got an income or a home or we do place security in things and that's that's such an, a, a, a great thing but actually Would that change if we didn't have those things? I don't know. I just find it really interesting. I think Jesus just looks at Mary and he goes, she's all it. She's like, she knows she's loved. So, I think there's, a, I think there's some people here who feel unsure about something right now. You're just unsure about something. It might be that you're really wanting your job to work out. You might want to start dating. You might want to find a husband or wife. You might want to have children. You might want to see something work out in your family. And I, I just think the Lord wants to come in and go, what are you doing with that? Where are you going with that? Is, how is it making you feel? Because that security in him is he's got the outcomes. He's got the outcomes. So why don't we stand? Why don't we stand?